0: Well, for the last several months, we have been in a series in First Timothy, eavesdropping on godly counsel. We know that Paul was writing to Timothy to give him guidance as a young pastor in the church at Ephesus. We've looked at that from a lot of different angles. We've, we're going to wrap that up today, and we'll begin our Christmas series next Sunday. But as we think back on it, we're kind of doing a review today of just where we have been, and as we get to the very close of this chapter, we find that we are called to guard life's greatest treasure. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, the final two verses of this book. Pew Bible, page 1849, if you want to follow along there if you don't have your Bible with you. But it says, Paul speaking, he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith and then he concludes with the words that he started with grace be with you all timothy is called to guard what has been entrusted to his care it's something that paul was doing himself and you recall in the beginning of this book in chapter 1 verse 11 paul said i have been entrusted with this good news It's a reminder to us as Christians that we are the containers that hold the very treasure of God. About a decade earlier from writing this book, Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and he would say, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Friends, as we look at this book, we're reminded in the concluding statement here that we as believers in Jesus Christ, collectively as the church, we are called to guard what God has entrusted to us, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to do kind of a a weird review of going back and trying to go forward at the same time as we wrap up this series. The first thing I want us to note as we guard life's greatest treasure is that doctrine. Remember, this is something that we have heard over and over and over through the series. Doctrine guides what we do, and the church must do what God wants done. So doctrine is going to guide what we do, and then we as a church must do what God wants done. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 was one of those central verses that we've looked at in which Paul was saying to Timothy, I'm hoping to get there, I plan to get there, but if I'm delayed, I'm writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Doctrine guides what we do. The word doctrine starts with do and belief begins with b what we believe is what will be and the doctrine we embrace will determine what we do it's always good to remember that doctrine starts with d-o it's about doing it's not just about having knowledge it is positioning us to do what god wants done doctrine beliefs are like a runner paul has been telling us through this book that guide us either to safety or, one of the words he used, to shipwreck. So our doctrine, our beliefs, will guide us either safely through life or to shipwreck. We see an example of that on Harvard's original motto. It was in Latin, Veritas Christo Ecclesia. And we think of that in Latin, we're familiar with Veritas. It means truth. The truth was that Harvard was designed and created to train ministers to share the gospel of jesus christ it was a seminary 1692 was when they had that little motto today they go by veritas which means truth which is no longer absolute in the opinions of those who guide the school but that phrase that we just saw there the original phrase of harvard truth for christ and the church you see when you begin to move away from doctrine and your beliefs move in a different direction than what the bible says you will live for a truth rather than the truth for christ and the church first timothy chapter 1 verse 15 paul is saying in essence this is why i'm writing you it's so important you know you're supposed to behave in a certain way why must we behave in a certain way first timothy chapter 1 verse 15 this is what god wants done here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the worst and you recall that paul was writing in the present tense he wasn't saying you know i used to be a really bad guy because i persecuted the church but he looks at himself decades later from his conversion and he says i am the worst of all sinners but thanks be to god it's people just like me that jesus came to save and then in 1 timothy chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 we have a reiteration of that same central theme God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Paul is saying, you have been entrusted with the gospel. And sometimes we look at that in confusion. What exactly does that mean? Because we hear that word used so many times in so many different contexts. But the gospel is simply this. It's the good news, and that good news is God has a plan to rescue us from our sin. We saw that on the screens as we sang just a little while ago. God has rescued us from our sin. That's the gospel. That is the briefest of summaries that we can have of the gospel. God has a plan to rescue us from our sin. We need to be rescued from the power and the penalty of sin because sin can, does, and will kill each one of us. So we don't just need to be made better, we need to be born again to come back to life. And that only happens through Jesus Christ. During this series, we were reminded one week that on average, each of us makes about 30 to 50 mistakes. So if you're at the best, you're making about 30 mistakes per day. And you're saying, well, they're not all sinful. That's true. But it reminds us of our imperfection and our great need for a perfect God. So God's greatest desire is our only hope and we're entrusted with that message to communicate to one another because there's times in which we kind of forget about that or we get a little fuzzy about it or we get discouraged and we have some doubts about it and we need to communicate that to one another and to a world that desperately needs to be rescued the church is entrusted those jars of clay that's what we are we're busted up pots and we are entrusted with this treasure of god's grace within us so we know that doctrines will guide what we do and the church must do what god wants done that's what paul is saying to timothy that's why he's writing there needs to be a course correction the rudder was pointed in the wrong direction and he says there needs to be a course correction in life so that we will do what god wants done as a church so knowing that God's greatest desire is our only hope, and the ch- in the church is entrusted with this treasure of God's grace. We need to train ourselves to be godly. He talked about that in First Timothy chapter four, verses seven through eight. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself for godly. And he says in in this verse that we just read, chapter 6, verse 20, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, of the knowledge that moves us away from God, much like it did at Harvard, instead of exploring the truth for Christ and the church, of just exploring all different kinds of truths as they become no longer absolute. Train yourself to be godly. And that's not that confusing. We make it confusing because we think, I'm not really sure what that means, so I'm not sure how to do that. But we've been reminded through this letter of how we can do that. Think about things that we train ourselves for in life. If we want to make a change, and Paul was saying here, turn away from godlessness, we know what that looks like to make changes in our own life. If you want to lose weight, look better, feel better, you turn from the table to the Jim, simple process, turn from here to here. If you want to have more income and less outflow, you turn from shopping to savings, very simple formula. If you want to improve relationships in your family or other friendships that you have, you turn from selfishness to selflessness if you want to be like emily and turn from greed to generosity you turn to giving it's turning from something and turning to something else turn from sinful pursuits to following hard after christ you know i really struggle with that little phrase that i i use when we pray encouraging people to ask for god's forgiveness follow hard after christ But I've seen that over and over and over in other contexts. I'm thinking, should I say, and I will obediently follow you. But we, I think we understand the idea of what it is to follow hard after Christ. It's with effort and energy. It says they used to save the rabbi. May the dust of the rabbi be upon you. You would follow so close to the rabbi that as his sandals were kicking up dust, that dust would get on you because you were so close. You were following hard after him. The heavenly vision was written by Helen Lamell in 1922, 101 years ago. We know it as, turn your eyes upon Jesus. She wrote it based upon Isaiah 55:45,22, 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. What does that simple chorus say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. I was going to sing this for you, but I decided to just read it. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes from whatever is distracting you. And Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus, you have become distracted from the things of God, and now you are a distraction of the things of God. People look to you and you're a distraction from what the gospel really is. If we will turn our eyes from what is distracting us and turn it to God. You recall a couple weeks ago, we used a quote by John Stott. What does that look like? Running from evil? You run from evil like you run from danger. And what does it mean to run after God? You run after God like you run after success. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. To train yourself from godliness, I use what I call the pray BCs. You know, the ABCs, these are the pray-BCs. Prayer, Bible, and church. Three disciplines that will help us to be trained for godliness. The prayer is conversation with God, and Paul talked about that in here. Praying for leaders, praying for those in authority, praying for one another. Prayer is a conversation with God and listening to the one we claim to be following. What is Scripture? Scripture scripture is god's word it's god's mouth speaking to us and when we open it up god speaks to us and it writes and writes the script of our life the w-r-i-t it writes that and it r-i-g-h-t it writes us in the proper direction we need to go whenever god's word is usurped by anything else comfort convenience busyness heresy whenever god's word is usurped people suffer we suffer and those around us suffer so pray devote yourself to scripture and the church the church is god's family locally and corporately and god designed for us as christians to help one another to grow in christ and to help other people find life in christ and all of these involve individual time what you do individually through prayer and scripture and being with other Christians, and corporately as we come together as a church, not just for worship, but as we call each other, as we text each other, as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we take time to know the needs of one another within the church, as we congregate together as a church, as we study the Bible together. The church is God's gift. Many of you were with family this last week, and you know what it is. Family comes in. Everybody has a responsibility, right? When the dinner is done, is it just one or two people that clean up everything and everyone else goes and watches the football game? Everybody has a responsibility, right? And when God is talking about his family, we all need family. As we were reminded, those that weren't at the table, we wish that they had been there. We need one another in family, but we also recognize that we have a responsibility, It's not just one or two that carry the family, but we are all supposed to be a part of the family. Training for godliness involves three questions that we can ask ourselves that we've talked about in this series. Is there ongoing evidence of supernatural change in my life, or is it just status quo? Is there ongoing evidence? I mean, if a trial was held, would people say, I have seen ongoing evidence of supernatural activity in which your life is changing for the better? second question do other people's sins bother me less than my own sin or am i bothered more by other people's sins than my own when we're training for righteousness and training for godliness we will come to the point in which we recognize that our sins are of greater concern than the sins of someone else and do i want other people to experience god's saving grace do i have a desire for other people to share in the relationship that i have with god Or is it just something that I am hoarding for myself? These are ways that we train for godliness by asking ourselves questions that make us aware of where we are spiritually. They're kind of somewhat of a litmus test of where we are. So as we have seen this, we see the treasure of God's grace leads, this is Paul's talking about this, As we as a church do what God wants done. He says that will be, that will lead us to contentment, the treasure of God's grace leads to contentment both now and forever. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That is a great statement, so profound. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Philippians chapter 4, 11, something that Paul wrote about six or seven years before he wrote 1 Timothy. And he said, I have learned the secret of contentment. What was that secret? Seeking Christ more than anything else. Did Paul just have a natural disposition for contentment? No. We go back to Acts chapter 9, and we see the conversion of Saul to the apostle Paul, and we're reminded that he was a very restless, discontented man. What was he discontented about? His religion was taking a hit. This thing called Christianity— Was usurping what he was trying to do and so he was dead set in trying to kill every christian that he could he wanted the way what it was called he wanted it stopped but his focus completely changed on the road to damascus and he learned that the the church that he was persecuting was actually jesus christ himself friends hear that when we take casually what the church is about go back to acts chapter 9 and hear jesus say Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The church is the body of Christ, and it must be taken seriously. Seriously so that we recognize that we have been entrusted with the gospel, that God has a plan to rescue mankind from uh, from the sinfulness that we are immersed in. Is Is your contentment based upon a circumstance? Paul talked about that. It was a very difficult message because we know in the culture in which we live things like slavery and somebody having uh, authority over someone else's is, is looked down upon but paul was saying it's it's not your standing in society that makes you content it is your standing with god see we all have the same posture we may have different status in society but we all have the same posture of being submitted to Jesus Christ. And that's why C.S. Lewis would say, don't let happiness depend on something you may lose. You may lose that relationship. You may lose that possession. You may lose that desire. Don't let it be hinged upon something that you can lose. Remember, God can do more in a moment than all of humanity can do throughout all of eternity. We can trust that he will give us exactly what we need, not necessarily what we want. Christmas lists are designed primarily of what we want. Parents give primarily what you need. You'll get that in a moment. If you've ever gotten socks, you know what that is. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Remember again, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. That's what's unique about this endpoint. Is he says, Grace be to all of you. Texas translation, y'all. He's writing to Timothy, but the letter is for everybody. And he says to them, This is the church that he wrote to in Ephesus just a few years later, a few years earlier. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what Paul talks about over and over and over throughout First Timothy. Doing. The doctrine leads to the doing of good things, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word handiwork that you've heard many times is a word that literally is translated masterpiece. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are his masterpiece to be on display in this life for people to see what God can do with a life. And then we become his trophies of grace, as he would say in Ephesians 2, 7, just the verse before that, when we go into his presence for all of eternity. Well, Paul would continue on in this passage in Ephesians, continuing on in verses 11 through 19, Ephesians chapter 2. He would say that you were once far from God, but you have been brought near By Jesus Christ. You probably remember as a kid, or maybe playing with your children or your grandchildren, that game of hot and cold. And you would hide something. And then they were supposed to figure out where it was. And as they walked around, just blindly trying to figure out where it was hidden, you would say, oh, you're getting warmer, getting warmer, oh, you're hot, oh, you're real hot right now. Or if they were going in the opposite direction, nowhere close, Cold. Real cold. You are ice cold. What Paul is saying in that little game, we were ice cold from God. We were so far away and we had no clue which direction to go, but through Christ, we have been brought near and we've gone from being ice cold to being boiling hot. That's the beauty of what Christ does. We were distant from God and we've brought, been brought near to Him. So Paul thinks that's what we can experience in this life and then an even greater closeness with him when we go into eternity. When Paul speaks of the future, he's always confident that it'll be better than the present. Paul doesn't expect anybody to walk in through the gates of heaven and put their hands in their pocket and saying, I was really expecting it to be more. Nobody will go into heaven like that. And Paul wants us to see that as we as a church are entrusted with this great news of God's grace so that we will share that so everyone can experience that. What does he want us to do? He wants us to turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord who said, I will always be with you in Matthew 28, 20. And I will never leave you or forsake you as he would say in Hebrews 13, 5. And I will always make things turn out for the good for those who are called by my name in Romans 8:28. so have you turned to God fully completely do you know that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him and do you know that you're supposed to share that message with other people and the message continues the second thing we need to know is that not only are we loved by God and he's created us to have a relationship, but our sin prevents us from having any relationship with God. And that's where the good news comes in. We need to be rescued. And thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. He can rescue us. We can be changed. We can go from a stick figure drawing to a masterpiece by completely surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. Four things everyone needs to know, but they won't save you. There's one thing that everyone needs to do. That's ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and become the Lord and Savior of your life. If you would like to receive Christ and begin a relationship with him, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, and you can follow along and make it the heart cry of your life. If you're already a Christian, just ask yourself a couple of these questions. Am I really training for godliness the way that I need? Am I where I need to be? Would Paul be satisfied as he wrote to me like he did to Timothy, this counsel that we've been eavesdropping on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have had to explore the counsel that Paul gave to Timothy and you made into your word that could be read for the church, and all those who follow you for all these centuries later. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity to be made alive through Christ. We are dead in our sins until you resurrect us to new life through Jesus Christ. If anyone gathered in this room or listening online has never professed you as Lord and Savior of their life, might they voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, thank you for this local church called Westgate. Thank you for the people that make it up, followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that collectively you would help us to be godly people that are perpetually training ourselves to be godly followers of Jesus Christ. Each and every day availing ourselves to what you want to do supernaturally in our lives to make us more and more into the image of Christ. I pray that each one in this congregation would know of your favor and blessing that they would embrace the privilege that we have of Christians gathering in a church, and likewise, they would also shoulder up their responsibility of what it means to be a part of your body. Lord, thank you for your goodness and the opportunity now that we have to celebrate that through the taking of these elements in the Lord's Supper. In Christ's name we pray, amen love you all thanks for listening and i want to invite now our deacons to make their way to the front so we can receive these elements of the lord's supper some of you might be a guest with us you might be visiting with family over the thanksgiving holidays know that anybody that is a follower of jesus christ and has made a profession of faith through baptism and is seeking to walk obediently with him may receive these elements the beauty of what god has given us is we have the opportunity to repent at any point If there's sin in our lives that needs to be repented of, do that now. Just say, God, would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? He tells us in his word that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, make us right with him. So take some time now and just begin to pray as we prepare to receive these elements. The deacons will be passing them out. Be reminded that in each one of those cups, you have your juice as well as your wafer that represents the body and the blood of Christ.
1: Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son's life, death, and resurrection. For without it we could not have been reconciled to you and enjoyed eternity in heaven close to you. Help us to always be grateful for that Uh, and help us, as Pastor Raymond mentioned, to not be selfish with that message but to speak it boldly everywhere that we go so that others who have never heard that message. Would have the same opportunity that we have to be in heaven with you. What a wonderful blessing that is. And I pray that this church continues to be a beacon of light in this community. I pray that uh, everyone here continues to be generous with their finances and with their time uh, and to always put others first. And I pray that you bless this church and its staff uh, as we continue to remain obedient to you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. In your heavenly name we pray, amen.
0: Paul models so well as he's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. What a beautiful picture of what it is to be a Christian. What I received, I give to others. And he says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul would continue sharing what he had received with these new, Christi- new Christians at Corinth. In the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, supper he said, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The church is the body of Christ, God's family, God's children gathering together. And so as we conclude our service here today, I'd like for all of us to stand together and join your hearts and your hands. We're going to be singing closing song. If there's a decision that God has placed upon your heart, know that you can meet us at the Connection Center out in the atrium after the service. We would love to help you take your next steps in following hard after Jesus Christ. Come on.
1: by the Heart for Inmates table and sign birthday cards